feel glad to be here? Amen. Amen. It's good to be in God's house. You know, Brother Dustin told me he wasn't going to be here this week, and I just waited and waited for them to ask me to fill his spot this morning, and not one person uh, asked me to do that. And so uh, maybe next week, now that I guilt them into it, Revelation chapter 3, verse number 1, I appreciate everybody that has something to do with the music. What a blessing you are uh, to all of us, and we thank you for your efforts that you put into that. Revelation chapter 3, in verse number 1, is where we're going to begin reading in just a moment. But before we read that, I want you to do something. I want you to imagine yourself in a situation. You're crawling across the hot desert sand and you're scorched by the sun and you're near the point of death, you are exhausted emotionally, physically, in every way, and you just know that you're going to die out here in this desert sand. You're giving it everything that you got. You feel completely hopeless, helpless. You're ready to give up and you know that in the back of your mind, you are going to die out in this place. And there's absolutely nothing that you can do to change that in any way. As you look up, you see a sign that says clear, crystal clear water one mile ahead. And when you see that sign, you are encouraged, you find hope, and you are able to give it everything that you have to reach that last mile so that you might be able to get that clear crystal water that could help you in that time. You do all that you can to get there. You show up one mile later and when you show up, there is this magnificent whale. And there are all of these people that are standing about that whale. And when you show up to that whale, there is so much joy because you just know that you are about to get everything that you need. There's a greeter out front that gives you a bucket and says, tie it to the rope, drop it in, and do all of that. You get your bucket and you get to the edge of that whale. And with the last little bit of strength that you have within you, you lean yourself up against that whale, you tie your bale, your bucket to that rope, and you throw it over so glad to hear, waiting to hear the sound of that bucket hitting the water. And all you hear is that bucket hit the bottom of that whale and make a thud. And you pull it back up, just knowing that surely, surely it hits something else. And when you pull it back up, you notice that all there is is just dust on that bucket. Can you imagine the depression, the discouragement, the hopelessness that would sink in as you just knew that you were about to get everything that you needed right here and everything was about to turn out only to find an empty, dry, dusty well. You say, that sounds pretty extreme. You know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid that happens every Sunday morning. I'm afraid that happens so many times when people meet you and I as Christians. They, get, they have so much hope. And they're, they're, they're despaired. They're, they're tired. They're weak. They're hurting. They feel like giving up. And they say, you know what? I'm going to do all that I can to try one more time. And they drive by and they see an advertisement. And they see a sign and they see a building and they see greeters and they, they see Christians and they see you and, and you claim to be a Christian. And they, in, their, in their mind there is just a small glimmer of hope because they know that maybe I can get what I need from that person or from that church. And you know what they find out oftentimes? That that's nothing more than a dry, dusty well that has nothing to give. That has nothing to provide. What a sad reality that is to consider. You know, when we think about it in the physical sense, it breaks our heart to think about the people that are starving, doesn't it? It breaks our heart. I mean, the, the commercial comes on the TV and they play the sad music and you see the kid that doesn't look like he's eaten a meal in three or four or five days and, and it moves you to compassion and you say, man, I want to help in some way. How sad it is that our world is full of people that are suffering in all of those physical ways. 
But can I say there are people all around you and I and all around this church that are suffering in just as many spiritual ways as there are people suffering in physical ways. And we have all that we need to help them. And how sad it is that they would come into a place like this or they would come to a person like you or me and not be able to get the hope that they stand in need of. They wouldn't be able to get the help and the strength that they that they stand in need of. It happens every Sunday morning. You know, to me, and please don't misunderstand me, I'm not trying to give excuses for people not going to church, alright? But for me, it's easy to go to church. I've gone to church my whole life, alright? I was raised in church, I mean, ever since I was, a, a, before I can remember, I've been brought to church, alright? But you know, there's a lot of people that haven't been. And there's a lot of people that may have bad experiences that you and I haven't had, maybe you've had. And to them, while to you and I, we think that, that doesn't make any sense, it's silly. There are some people that give it everything they can to walk in this place because it's so hard for them. Because the devil's doing everything he can to keep them out of here. I wonder if somebody were to come in this church on the verge of giving up, on the verge of about to throw in the towel, but I'm going to give it one more opportunity. I saw the sign. I saw the advertisement. I heard the invite. I'm going to give it one more opportunity to get to that whale that is offering clear water that can give me what I stand in need of. If that person showed up today, do you think they would leave having an impact made on their life? Well, would they leave this place? Would they, would they walk out of here after talking to you and listening to me and being part of this service? Would they leave saying, I got everything that I need? Or would it be like throwing a well down in a dry, or a bucket down in a dry well for them? What, what would they get out of it? Well, if tomorrow if somebody meets you and they're on the verge of giving up and throwing it all away and God allows them to meet you, is that encounter going to make a difference in their life? Is, is it going to do anything for them? Or is it just going to push them over to the verge? You may be here this morning and say, Preacher, that's not my responsibility. If you're saved, it's your responsibility. If you're a part of this church, it's your responsibility. If you've been washed in the blood of Jesus and given eternal life and born again of the Spirit of God and have a home in heaven, I mean, you've been regenerated by His Spirit and you have the Word of God, it is our responsibility to make a difference. And there are so many people that are in desperate need of what only God can give them. And God wants to use you and I to do that. But how many times have we passed that up? You see, the church at Sardis that we're going to read about in Revelation chapter 3, they fit that image. They, they fit that they were going through that very same thing. Maybe you're familiar with the city of Sardis. It was the capital city of Lydia. It was founded around 1200 B.C. But unfortunately, the church of Sardis had become a lot like the culture at Sardis. And let me just throw this out there. That's not the way that's supposed to work, all right? It's supposed to be the opposite of that. But the church at Sardis had become a lot like the city. The city at one time was strong. It was, it was wealthy, it was powerful, it was protected. It was up on this high plateau, okay? They, there was only one road that went into this city. And the story is told, anyways, of the city of Sardis, that they had become comfortable and complacent and thought of themselves that we are invincible and nothing bad can ever happen to us. But the story is told of a soldier who was on watch one night 
And he was over on the far side of that hill and he had fallen asleep. And when he had fallen asleep, his helmet fell off of him. His helmet fell off of his head and it rolled down the hill. And the Persian army and some of their men were watching. And they were seeing that and they saw that helmet and they saw that soldier get up and walk down that hill. They they saw him get down and walk down that hill and walk back up. And when they did that, they noticed that there is another way to that city. That they noticed that there is another route to that city because he had become complacent. And the city was overtaken by Cyrus and all of his men. What had happened then? A city that had great wealth. If you'll just pause and not listen for a minute, I'm going to tell Brother Andy, if you'll unmute number three and turn it up, they'll hear me, okay? Battery died on this thing, so you didn't hear any of that, all right? But what happened here, the city at Sardis, they had lost all of their strength and they had lost all of their wealth and all of these things that happened to them. But eventually they got their land back, all right? They got their land back and they had become somewhat of a city again. But you know what they never regained? They never regained their strength and their power and their wealth. They never got all of that back. Now to the outside person, what it looked like to them was that this city was there, but really there was no substance in the city. You say, what does all of that mean? The church at Sardis had become just like the city at Sardis. And there was a building and there were all of these things, but there was absolutely no substance to it. If you look in chapter number 3, Chapter number 3 and verse number 1. I know some of y'all can't hear. I'm not going to say who. Revelation chapter 3 verse 1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which are remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You see, this church had a reputation that they were alive. When people looked at this church and people saw this church from the outside and the community looked in, they said, man, that's an active, that's a busy church, that's a happening church. They've got all of the things that are going on in that church. But Jesus writes to them and He says, listen, I know everything about you. In every letter that Jesus wrote to one of His churches, He uses this phrase, I know. Uh, Seven different times Jesus writes and He says, I know. All that is going on, He knows everything that there is to know about it. Man can say what they want to about you and I, and they can come up with flattery remarks, and they can say good things about you, and you can have a great reputation, but know this, Jesus knows everything there is to know about us. We see His perfect discernment as He looks at this church, and He is not fooled by the reputation that the community sees. And he is not deceived by the activity and the busyness that they have going on. And Jesus says about this church in verse number one, you have a name that thou livest and are dead. But what a sad, what a sad announcement of a church. You have a name and everybody thinks that you're alive and you portray that you're alive and you act like you're alive. But Jesus said, I know the real you. 
I know what's really happening with you. I know what's really going on. And he said, you may have everybody else fooled, but you don't have me fooled. And Jesus looks at this church and he says, you're just a dead church. Jesus had a dilemma with them. And I know this may come as a surprise to the liberal crowd in our world today. But Jesus still has a dilemma with a lot of people today. And see, some people may paint a picture of Jesus as this all accepting and tolerating God that accepts everything that people do is good, whatever it may be, and that he's okay with that. But know this, that Jesus has standards and Jesus has terms if we're going to come to him. And Jesus has expectations for the way that we live and the way that we carry ourselves and the way that we conduct ourselves. And Jesus said, listen, I have a dilemma with you. I have an issue with what you're doing and how things are going on there. And I'm afraid today that the Lord probably has a dilemma with a lot of us today. There's a dilemma with a lot of churches today. And he has a dilemma with a lot of Christians today. You say, well, preacher, I'm here. Well, you may have a name that you're alive, but that doesn't mean that you're alive today. You, you, you may have the appearance and you may look like it to the crowd outside. But Jesus said, I see past that. I see beyond that. I know everything before that and after that. And I'm not deceived by any of those things. You know, people today are living for the right now. We're living for the, the instant gratification in some way. We're living for that which impresses people immediately when they meet us in some way. That's really all we care about, first impressions. You know, do something that just really wows people, and people are going to love that. People are going to think we're awesome because we can do that. But the Lord's not impressed by those kind of things. You know what the Lord's not impressed by? The Lord's not impressed by what you and I, how we dress ourselves up. The Lord's not impressed by how we present ourselves maybe on Sundays through Saturday. The Lord's not impressed by what I posted on Facebook. The Lord's not impressed by my talents or this or that or any of those things. Know this, God sees right beyond every bit of that and He sees the real you. And you can fool everybody around you, I can fool you and you can fool me. And Jesus wanted this church to understand the whole city might be fooled. And you might have fooled this entire city into thinking that you are alive. And Jesus simply says to them, you are dead. Some of us would argue that today and we say, well, preacher, I walked in this building. I walked in this building. I'll leave out of this building the same way that I came. I'll drive out of here and all these other things that will go on and I'm perfectly alive. But you know what? There's a lot of Christians today, spiritually speaking, that are dead today. They've lost every bit of life and joy that, that God once gave them and they have become the very same thing as that empty, dry, dusty whale that we talked about a minute ago. That the advertisement is there and the marketing is there and the appearance is there, but there is no substance whatsoever. And Jesus had a problem with that. And here's what he gave them to do. He gave them two things. I'll share them with you and we'll be done. Number one, he gave them a work to do. Look at what he says in verse number three. Be watchful. Verse number two, excuse me. Be watchful. And he makes this statement, strengthen the things which remain. You know what he tells that church to do? He said, I want you to look and I want you to see what you have. And I want you to see what is left that is there. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to be revived. All right. He said, I want you to take what is left. You've already lost some things, but I want you to take what is left. And I want you to have a revival. You need to strengthen the things that remain. You know what's true of many churches today? It's true of those that have gone on before us, churches that have closed down. It is true of churches today. They have walked themselves into their own grave because they refused to admit and acknowledge that there were things they needed to do, 
so that they could have a revival, but they had accepted the status quo and they were okay with where they were at and they were going to go down and die because they were too hard-headed and stubborn to change and have a revival in their heart. They had set themselves up and said, we don't care. We're going to do it our way or the highway. And they walked themselves to their own grave. They walked themselves there and that church died and it no longer does anything for the cause of Christ anymore because of that. You said that'll never happen here. Friend, I want you to know it can happen to any church. It can happen to any church out there. It can happen to this church. It can happen to the next church. It doesn't matter what goes on. Listen, a church can do that to itself if it refuses to admit we stand in need of revival. I heard a preacher say one time, he said, you show me a church that says they don't need revival and I'll show you a church that needs revival. And many of us walk around that very way. We walk around acting like we don't stand in need of it. It's brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. They're the ones that really need that. I want you to know this morning, I say it with all due respect because it starts with me and then it goes, and it's true of all of us. But do you remember when David sinned with Bathsheba and the, Nathan the prophet came to him and told him a story of an injustice that was done? You remember what David said? David said, we need to find that man. He needs to pay, right? He needs to pay for what he did. I mean, he's guilty and he's done all of those things. That's how a lot of us are. We think about that and I think, I heard what so-and-so did. They, they need to get right. I heard what so-and-so did and they need to make things right with God and with the church and everything else. You know what Nathan said to David? Nathan said, thou art the man. It's you, okay? It's not, it's not everybody else, David. It's not all of the other people out of this city and this country. It's not everybody that's under you. Nathan said, David, you are the man. You're the one that needs to get right. You're the one that has wronged God. And what God's people, what we need to do, what I need to do, is we need to acknowledge that it's us that needs revival. We need to take an inventory of our life and our church and say, here's what we have and we must strengthen the things that remain. We must do what we can to have a revival. We must do what we can to have the power of God in this place again and do something in this place so that God can work on the hearts and the minds of people. I don't know about you. I don't want to have a nice building, a redone fellowship hall soon, wonderful people, and all we'd be to the community is a dry, dusty well for them to come to. I want to be something where people can come to and they can get life because they can't get it anywhere else. Where people can come to and they can get renewed because they can't get it anywhere else. And they can get refreshed and they can get energized and they can get revived and they can be in the presence of God because they can't do it anywhere else. Jesus said of this church, you may look alive and you may appear alive, but really you are dead. People can look in from the outside and they can say, man, that church is so awesome. And that's nice of them. People can look in from the outside and they can say, that church is so terrible. And that's all right too if they want to say that. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to this. What is it that Jesus has said about our church? If Jesus was going to write a letter today to our church, if He was going to write a letter addressed to you individually, I wonder what it would contain this morning, what it would consist of. Would the Lord write about our reputation and testimony that we have in the community, but then say, listen, I see beyond all of that? You know, he talked to the Pharisees one time, and you're probably familiar with that conversation. But he told them, he, he told, said about them anyways, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They say the right things. They sing the right songs. They do the right things. They talk about the right things. But their heart isn't anywhere where it needs to be. They're not honoring me with their heart. He said of them at one time, he said, you're just a bunch of painted sepulchers. 
He said, you're, you're, just, you're, you're just a box that holds the bones of dead men that's painted and decorated on the outside. And that means absolutely nothing. That's what Jesus was saying about this church. Is you have a reputation in the community to mean something, but really you're dead. And so he says to him, you need revival. But I want you to notice the second thing that he says there in verse number 3. He said, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard. You know, the memory can stir up a lot of thoughts, can it? And stir up a lot of emotions for us. We think about times past and what we've experienced and how things used to be and memories of mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and all of those things that they can work on the emotions. You know what Jesus is telling this church? He said, I want you to remember, I want you to remember when you got saved, all right? I want you to remember when you were fired up. I want you to remember when you had heard and you had received and you had taken those things in back when you were on fire and you were wanting to serve me and you were wanting to live and now you're just a building and you're dead on the inside. Jesus is saying, look back to that time and remember back to when you first received me and heard about me and how excited you once were. You know what Jesus is saying? Remember back before you got bitter. Remember back before you got so mean? Remember back before you got so complacent? And you got so calloused? And you got so hard-hearted? Remember back before you got so worldly and so carnal? Remember back when nothing else was more important than Jesus but Him alone and He had the preeminence in your life? Jesus is saying, look back to that moment. I wonder how many of you can look back today at that time that you got saved and trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and the fire that was lit inside of you. And how, how excited you were to, to just be part of the kingdom of God. And be part of the family of God. And, and when you got baptized, and, and how awesome that was to be baptized in front of everybody. And then become a member of one of God's New Testament churches. And, and you just had so much joy to you. You wanted to do anything you could for Jesus. I wonder how many of us can remember that. Because that's not where we're at today. And we look back and we think, man. That's been years since I've been there. It's been years since I've been excited about the Lord. It's been years since church has been more than just showing up and having a service and going home. It's been years since I've sat in the congregation and sang to the Lord and, and just really worshipped Him. It's been years since I showed up and wanted to really help with what the church was doing. Hey, if it's been years, here's the wonderful thing about it. All of those years between where you were doing that and where you are today, you know what God has promised to do if we'll repent of that? He said, listen, I'll cast that as far as the east is from the west. He said, all of those years that you've done nothing for me, the Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, that He is just and faithful to forgive us of our sins as well. We can have revival. If we'll remember where we, where, where we used to be, how we used to be serving the Lord, what we used to have, what our relationship used to be like, here's the wonderful thing about God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And while the world has changed and the culture has changed and everything else around us has gone in different directions, the Lord Jesus stands the same today. And He offers that to you and I. He offers us that revival if we really want it. He tells this church, He said, listen, you have a reputation that you're alive, you're dead. Here's what you need to do. You need to have a revival. You need to remember. But then He also makes this statement in verse number 3. Hold fast. He said, remember how you received. And then He said, hold fast and repent. Can I tell you what Jesus isn't looking for today? Jesus is not looking for a lot of fans. You know that? 
Everybody loves fans, don't we? We we go to the ball games and we support. We're fans. We're we're followers of the crowd in that way. We're cheerleaders, you know, to different things. Here's the thing: Jesus isn't looking for cheerleaders today. You say, well, that's what we're supposed to be as cheerleaders for the Lord Jesus. That's not what He's looking for. The Lord is looking for people today that will have some resolve and that will hold fast. And that will say, Lord, I'm all yours. I'm in it for the long haul and surrender our life to Him. Not just be a a fan of Jesus on the outside. Not just be a cheerleader from the back crowd. But to be a committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and to hold fast that which He has given. He is not looking for part-time workers anymore. He's not looking for people that just want to do it every now and then. He told this church, he said, you're going through the motions. You're dead. You've got an appearance that you're alive. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember how you used to be. And I want you to hold fast to what you got. And I don't want you to let go of it. But I want you to commit. And I want you to be surrendered. And I want you to be sold out. And be a good, faithful soldier of Jesus Christ. And then he uses a word that maybe we throw around some. But I wonder if we've really done it as much as we should. He said, hold fast and repent. There's an old Bible word that maybe we don't, we don't talk about or do or practice anyways as much as we should. We talk about repentance and we say, well, if you want to be saved, you need to repent and trust Jesus Christ. And we throw that out there. Can I say, if you're saved today, you need to repent as well. If you're a child of God today and, and you're, you're, you've been saved for however many years you could go back, you still need a daily dose of repentance in your life as well. Repentance isn't just for the lost person that needs to be saved. Repentance is for the child of God that walks every day and sins in some way and needs to turn back to the Lord Jesus Christ and give their life back to Him. He tells this church, he said, listen, you've been doing all of these things, but it's not just a rededication, okay? It's not just to come up and say, I'm going to rededicate my life. It is a change in your heart. You, you look at the sin in your life. You look at what's going on in your life. And you change your mind about that. And you turn to Jesus Christ. And you give it all to Him. And you know what that change of mind does to you? It leads to a change of action in your life. We can have programs like crazy. Churches can have programs. We can have busyness. We can have activities. We can have events. We can redo everything in this building if we want to. But if we don't ever have a good dose of repentance in this church, then it's really not going to mean a whole lot of anything. If so, well, preacher, I don't really have any big sin in my life. Here's the thing for repentance. Repentance isn't just for the drunkard, all right? Repentance isn't just for the fornicator. Repentance isn't just for the drug addict. Repentance isn't just for the person who's committed adultery. Repentance isn't just for the person who's been out of church for five years. Repentance is for the preacher that hadn't prayed and studied his Bible like he should have. Repentance is for the child of God that doesn't do everything that God's called him to do. Repentance is for the liar and the gluttonous and the greedy and the the, the grumbler and all of those things. There's not one person in this building, starting with me, that doesn't need repentance on a daily basis. And Jesus writes to this church, he said, if you want to be alive, here's what you need. You need to repent and you need to turn back to me. You, you need to look at what you've been doing and where you've been and change your mind concerning those things and come back to Jesus Christ. You need to turn back to him. He gives them a work that they need to do. And there's not one person here that doesn't stand in need of repentance in some way. You say, well, preacher, all of my, you know, I've never done a big sin. I don't have public sin. We, we, we label all of these things. And please understand, I know that different sin brings different consequences, okay? But at the end of the day, your sin bothers God. And my sin bothers God. The sin of our church bothers God. The complacency bothers God. The compromise, it all bothers God. 
And just as he told them in the Old Testament, he said, listen, if my people, not the world, if my people, which are called by my name, talked about humbling themselves and praying and turning from their wicked ways and seeking his face. He made this word and you ought to highlight it. Then will I hear from heaven and then will I heal their land and forgive their sins. When is he going to do that? When his people turn back to him. So many churches today, so many Christians today are living in defeat. We're talking about how bad the world is and how bad the culture is and all of these things. And maybe they are. Like I say this, you can't expect the culture to get any better until the church of the Lord Jesus gets a little better. And you can't expect the world to solve all of the problems that are out there when Jesus is the greatest need of all of the world and the church isn't doing its job to get Jesus out there. We like to place the blame on all of these other things and talk about how hard it is. But can I say the same God that opened up those waters and the same God that did a work through Paul is the same God that lives and operates in and through us today as well. And if we'll get right, I just wonder what Jesus could do in our life today. I'd hate to be a church that had a name that it was alive but really it was dead. Jesus gave them a work to do. And notice the warning he gave. He told him, he said, listen, if you, if therefore, he said, repent, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Here's what Jesus is saying to this church. He said, I'm going to give you opportunity. All right. If, what a big word. If, if you'll get right and you'll make things right with him and telling this church, he said that I won't do this. But no, if you don't, You don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know how it's going to happen. He said, but I'm going to come on you. He said, I'm I'm coming back one day. And you're going to answer for the condition that you're in. You're going to answer for the way that you've served. You're going to answer for the way that you didn't serve. Whatever whatever it might be. And Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to get right. But if you don't get right, just know there will be consequences to that. And know in your life and my life, we are sons and daughters of the Almighty God. And He's going to chastise us when we don't live the way that He wants us to live. He's going to discipline us. He's going to correct us. He's going to get a hold of us. But here's what He's saying. He's saying, I'm giving you an opportunity to get right. You can do it my way and you can get right. Or you can do it the hard way and I'll have to get your attention in some way. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm sure many of you would agree that God's gotten your attention the hard way before. God has come upon you as a thief in a night before and has turned your world upside down and has shaken everything in your foundation to the very core and you didn't know what you were going to do. God does that sometimes. You know why? Because we run from God and we don't get right with God and we don't give it to God. God, as a wonderful, good father, said, I'm giving you opportunity. I'm giving you opportunity. But if you don't take it, just know you're going to learn the hard way. And everybody here that's ever been through that would testify you don't want to learn the hard way. You want to do it God's way. And he's telling this church, listen, here's your chance. Here's your opportunity. You need to be revived. You need to repent and you need to get right. Look at the promises that he gave. I'll be done. He said there in verse number four, he said, there are some there. They haven't defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they're worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. You know what Jesus reminds him of? He said, listen, it may be hard to walk right now. And it may be hard to walk with the Lord today. And you may have struggles and and temptations and problems and all of these things. But know this, 
There's coming a day where you're going to walk with Him. That there's coming a day where you're going to walk in white with the Lord Jesus Christ on the wonderful streets of gold and all of the problems and cares of this life and the struggles that you face, they will mean nothing anymore. He said, there's coming that day. They're going to walk with me. Notice why. Look at what he says in verse number, uh, verse number 4. For they are worthy. He said, well, if you were here last week, preacher, you told every one of us that we're not worthy of anything. And we're not, right? Our righteousness is as filthy rag. You know why they're worthy? Because they've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's the only thing. It is the only thing that can make you worthy of anything God has to offer. Is what Jesus Christ has done for us. Those people are going to get to walk with Him. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, this life may get difficult. It may be hard to serve Him sometimes. It may be hard to be a Christian at all times. It may be hard to be faithful to church. Whatever your struggle may be. But I want you to know all of those struggles have an expiration date. And one day the clouds are going to open up and Jesus is going to appear in those clouds. And that trumpet of God is going to sound and Jesus is going to step out of heaven and the dead in Christ are going to rise up. And all of those that remain are going to be caught up together in glory with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that we'll all be caught up together there shall we all ever be with the Lord. But you know what's going to be amazing is when the Lord Jesus leads that crowd into heaven where the Father sits. And you know what He's going to do? He's going to confess those that are with Him as His own. These are mine. I bought them. He's going to confess them before His Father and all the angels. Here's what Jesus is telling the church that is located in a city that is compromised so much. He's saying, hold fast because I'm coming again one day. And it will all be worth it then. Be faithful. Hey, I don't know about you. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. He might come back today. The rapture could happen today and we could be gone. The place that you're at spiritually today. Nobody else knows, just you. The place that you're at spiritually today, as an individual, as a church collectively, is it where we want to be when the Lord Jesus finds us? Is the way that we're living and conducting ourselves and serving the Lord and reading our Bible and praying and worshiping and help all those things, is that at the level that we want it to be when Jesus shows up and Jesus calls us home? I can't do anything about yesterday, and you can't do anything about yesterday. But here's what we do. We decide today that we're going to repent, we're going to get right, and we're going to hold fast that which we've been given until the day that Jesus Christ comes. Lord, we want a revival. That's what we pray. Lord, start it with me. I don't want to live the rest of my life, however long that is, and I'm sure you don't either, having a reputation. Well, he's a preacher. He's a Christian. That's a good church. And have absolutely no life-giving water to offer to those people. I don't want to be, I don't want our church to be, and I'm sure you don't either, to just be a dry, dusty well that advertises something that it doesn't actually give. That's what the church at Sardis had going on. And Jesus gave them the opportunity to get right. And he gives us the opportunity to get right as well today. Let me ask you this last two questions and I'll be done. If you are a child of God, you're going to meet people tomorrow. This Sunday people are going to come to our church. Next Sunday people will come to our church and we don't know. It is your responsibility and my responsibility to make sure that we allow what God has given to us to flow through us so that they might have that as well. You remember what David said about his life? My cup runneth over. Your cup does not run over. For you to brag about how much your cup runs over. Amen. Your cup runs over so that somebody else might get something that's running out of that cup of yours. So that they can be blessed by what God has given you. So they can be blessed by what God has done inside of you. 
so that they might be a recipient of that as well. We often say, Lord, make use me in whatever way to provide so that you can work in through me. So those that are so needy and in such bad shape, Lord, they can feel your touch and they can be encouraged by what you can give them. If you're here this morning and you're lost and you don't know Jesus Christ, I want to ask you this. If that great rapture that I talked about did happen today and all of God's people got raptured out, would you go or would you be left behind? How sad a thought that is. To think all of those that you do, they're gone in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, not because of anything they had done good, but because they had trusted Jesus Christ. The only thing that's going to keep you here when that happens is not having a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith. And here's the wonderful thing. He offers that to everybody here. If you would simply trust Him, accept Him. If you would turn to Him and receive what it is that He wants to give you by faith. He wants to save you, and He wants to use you this morning. I want to ask you to stand with me.